I remember reading how uh, in the Old Testament one time how David insisted that the best musicians be chosen to lead God's people in praises. And that just sort of flies in the face of the way that we tend to think about making a joyful noise to the Lord, which many of us do. We attempt to, anyway, make a joyful noise. And indeed, that is all God requires of us of our hearts. But in the Old Testament, He said, choose the best to lead God's people. I I know you do not take for granted what the Lord has done for us as we are led to the throne of worship Sunday in and Sunday out. Uh, This past week I was in Barnes & Noble working on the message and another pastor was there working on his message, Doug Humphrey, pastor of Triangle Community. And he came up and we talked for a while and we started talking about how about three weeks ago they were so blessed at their church because David went and led. And I was just thinking this morning, as these guys were up here, that there were three guys right behind David who have all led very well, wonderfully here at Grace Community Church. God has blessed us, and I hope that you pray. And Julie coming up this morning for the first time, what a blessing that people just continue to join our worship team. And if you um, are slightly better than Joyful Noise quality. Would you please see David? Uh, if you're Joyful Noise, there's a place for you in the body. It's just not, you know, singing. It's not the vocal cords. You're not the vocal. So, what a blessing. Well, I, I want to ask you, what is your first memory of life? W- would you be able to, t- you know, if we just said, okay, what's the first thing you remember? Would you be able to say, yeah, this is the first memory that I have in life. Do you remember your first teacher, uh, your first boyfriend or girlfriend, your first kid? No, well, now let's don't go there. Um, I remember, interestingly enough, from what Keisha was saying this morning, I remember, and I was an adult when this happened. I remember the first person who told me that they loved me who didn't have to. And I'm not talking about, you know, my girlfriend or fiance. I'm talking about the first person who told me, Pat Anderson, who was co-director of Teen Valley Ranch, the founders of Bob and Pat were, Pat told me that she loved me and it had a profound impact on me. I thought, wow, she didn't have to tell me that. My Sunday school teachers never told me that and it wasn't their fault. It was my, I mean, my class... My class at Fuqua Verena Baptist Church retired five teachers in a row. I mean, they said, I'm taking a break. I'm not kidding. Five in a row. Five. And they, it was a well-deserved rest, I can tell you. I think one is still somewhere going. Ah. Um, well, and, and hey, I was think, as I was thinking about the first, you know, I'm writing out, down all these things, the first big game, the first big game I remember, Roger Stallback, quarterback, Navy against Duke. I, that's how old I am. But you remember that, or you remember your first dress, and if you're a parent, you are ridiculously obsessed with first. We weren't in our day, but you are. You know, first words, first step. And we, we thought about those things, but we didn't, you know, care about uh, the first birthday in the ways that you do. We didn't spend thousands of dollars on the first birthday and first anything and everything that baby does. But that's okay. I mean, we all like those first. And, and, and all of us in some way or another 
we're all obsessed with first, with origins. Wonder why. Maybe, maybe we want to be grounded in something. Maybe we want to understand our origins so that it will help us to get a better handle on our current hopes and fears. I mean, it could be that we just want to know that we were and that we are loved and that we're significant. Uh, today we begin this series called Genesis Gospel Origins. I suppose we could have just said Genesis Origins, but then that would be redundant because that's what the word Genesis means. It means beginnings or origins. It, it's, it's a book of first. The first universe, the first animals, the first man, the first sin, man and woman, the first sin, the first murder, which of course yielded the first death, the first promise that there is life beyond sin and death. The first covenant that God made with His people. And the first mention of the gospel. So today's message, which is the first in a series on Genesis, is simply titled, Gospel Origins. The text, of course, is Colossians 1, uh, verses 12 through 23. Uh, A few years ago in our study of the book of Acts, I, I was thinking about this this week, I think there are probably three books in the Bible that take you all over Scripture more than any other. And I, I know you could immediately think of some others, but, but, but the book of Acts, when we were in Acts, it, it takes us all over Scripture. Genesis does the same things, and so does Psalms. Uh, if you're going to really understand those three books, you have to go in all different directions in, in Scripture. So our book in Genesis is going to take us everywhere. Uh, In in fact, as we read our text, I want you to think of all the truth in Colossians 1 uh, that's rooted in Genesis. We're starting here today because our text tells us to what or to whom all of Scripture points. That is Jesus, of course. So we're going to read our text, Colossians 1, 12 to 23. Just remain seated, uh, if you would, because I'm going to make a few comments as we go. Verse 12 Picks up in the middle of a thought, so it's, it's, it's adjusted. The reading is adjusted slightly. I, Paul, and by the way, we're still working out margins on this new, this beautiful new slide uh, presentation that, that Scott Shambly has once again. That's not his fault. That's my fault trying to get it worked out. Uh, I, Paul, give thanks to the Father who has qualified you, the readers at Colossae, the, the the ones who were receiving his letter in Laodicea, but that's, that's, that's another story for another day. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now let's stop here for just a moment. Just looking at that verse, what does it seem to say to you? This verse to the English eye or, or ear, as the case may be, could seem to say that Jesus is 
similar to God. And that he is the first one who was born in creation, which means that he was created as well. But that's not what this verse is saying at all. In fact, it it says something far more profoundly. It's one of those translation things that's a little bit difficult at times. Here is an, an expanded paraphrase of verse 15, and it's true to the meaning of the Greek text. In Jesus, who is the exact nature and image of God, in Jesus, who is the exact nature and image of God, the invisible has become visible. God has come to earth. Jesus existed before creation, and he has the rights of the heir as the firstborn or the head of all creation. So, does that make more? This is what Paul was saying. Jesus was God in the flesh. And he existed before all creation. In fact, the next verse is going to tell us that he is the agent of God's creation. Verse 16. For by him, once again, stop, the the Greek preposition used here is in and almost sounds exactly like the, 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 the English preposition in. In fact, it's almost always translated in. So what Paul is saying is that for in him all things were created. Now, a little bit later, uh, you, you'll see that in verse 18 that, that, that Jesus is called the beginning. Paul is connecting Jesus with Genesis 1.1. So... For by or in him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything in Him, He might be preeminent. That in everything, He might be preeminent. For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I... Paul became a minister. Father, we pray that you will bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, when are you going to quit trying to save yourself? Hey, 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 I'm, I, Jesus saved me, so what do you mean, when am I going to quit? Didn't we just think about that in Galatians, that we can't save ourselves? What do you mean, when am I going to quit trying to save myself? Well, 
I'm asking you when you're going to quit trying to save yourself and you're going to rest in the Creator God who redeemed you and saved you through Jesus. When is the last time you tried to recreate yourself? When is the last time you went on a diet or you changed your style? You know, you're a completely different person. Or you went to a seminar or a conference with the intention of changing the, the parts of your personality that, that, that not only rub other people the wrong way, but frankly rub you the wrong way. I mean, you just wish you could, you know, you could change this about yourself. Why, why do we seek this creation? I think because we want to matter. I mean, we want to make our mark in the world We want to justify our reason for existence. And it's not working now, so let me see if I can't recreate myself. We want to be loved, so we need to be lovable. And maybe if I can just do this or change this, that'll do it. Our study in Genesis is not only going to tell us why we exist, but it's going to help us to see our significance to God. And, And most of us would acknowledge, intellectually at least, that that's all that should matter. If we matter to God, that's all we need. But, but it doesn't work that way. Hey, look, God understood that Adam, he looked and he saw Adam and he said, it's not good that man is alone. And so he made a help me for it. He brought woman into the world. And greatly, greatly improved Adam's existence, I can tell you. And don't be doing like that, guys. Don't be. Uh, you know it's true. In Genesis, we're going to do our best to stay away from controversy. Look, this can be a controversial book. In fact, amongst evangelicals, I don't know that there is any more book, uh, or there is any book that is more controversial because of some of the things that we see. And we're, and we're going to try to stay away from that controversy. Uh, not just to avoid a fight, but so that we can concentrate on God's purpose for giving us this book in the first place. I mean, why did God, do you think God gave us Genesis so that in the 21st century we could argue about some of the finer points of, of what he was talking about? I mean, Genesis lays the foundation for everything that will follow. And while it gives us a creation story and it describes the fall of man and the subsequent curse on the entire universe as well as on mankind, and though it gives us many gripping stories, the book of Genesis is about God and the gospel. That's where we're going to focus our attention, God and the gospel. Uh, The passage that we just read in Colossians reminds us that Jesus is the center of all creation. And He deserves our full attention and praise. It also reminds us that Jesus is the head of the church, which is His body. And if His body is going to function as He has designed it to, we need all of the parts working together. I mean, the knees need to be bending and the hands need to be reaching out and the eyes need to see and the feet need to be going and the lips need to be speaking and the tongue. And it's, of course, we need to be speaking His words because that is, it is the body of Christ after all. And it's going to be difficult, it's going to be impossible, in fact, for us to move forward if 
his body is disjointed and we lose our focus on mission because we're trying so much to fix the body itself. Whatever you believe about the first 11 chapters of Genesis, particularly the first three chapters, I promise you, I promise you, there are godly, intelligent, thoughtful people who believe differently than you do. Well, yes, there are. And I doubt seriously you would convince them to adopt your position if, you tur- if this turned into a bait about what science says or doesn't say and what, what role science has in the book of Genesis. I mean, you may say, well, look, science tells us one thing, and others would say, oh, well, look, science has nothing to do with God, or science proves what God said here if we take it this way or that way. Either way, you fail to win converts. All you do, it's just like a political rally. All you're going to do is make people mad. I mean, those of you who are really politically minded, you probably watch one convention. Because you knew that if you watched the other convention, you would just be hopping mad. Maybe you did. You tried and you said, I'm just not going to watch any more of that. Well, look, let's don't do that. This is God's word for goodness sakes. Let's don't, let's don't have political conventions in here. When Moses wrote Genesis, and I acknowledge, I acknowledge that editors had a hand in, 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 in putting the Pentateuch together, but, but Moses, I believe, was the driving force and, and thus the author of these first five books. His desire was, at God's direction, to inform a nation that God had separated them and He had separated them to Himself. He revealed Himself to His people through deliverance from captivity, captivity through numerous and very obvious miracles, and through His Word and His law delivered to Moses. Genesis is a book that recalls events long before Moses lived. He goes back to the very beginning of time when he simply states, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Words we're going to pay more attention to next week. Uh, There's a natural tendency when we think about Genesis to think about old, that which is old. Now, Now we may say, well, it's foundational. But frankly, we don't do foundational much better than we do old in our day. I mean, we want to think about, what does this say to me? How is this relevant to my life? And that's a legitimate question. Fortunately, Genesis deals with that very thing. Uh, All truth of the New Testament is rooted in the Old Testament. And the remainder of our time is going to be lessons from the book of Genesis that we see via Colossians. And by the way, without Genesis, the rest of Scripture just doesn't, doesn't make sense. So we're going back to our foundations. Now, I don't know if you picked this up in, <clears throat> in Colossians as we read through or, or, or the first couple of times that I've said it already, but all of Scripture and even all of creation points to Jesus. You remember when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? What did the Pharisees say? Hey, tell your disciples to be quiet. They were saying, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus' response was, if they remain quiet, the very rocks will cry out. All of Scripture, all of creation points to Jesus. We should take our cue and recognize that all that happens in our lives is pointing us to Jesus. 
Instead, we tend to turn inward, wondering if we measure up, wondering if we're loved, wondering if we're really making a difference. In Jesus, we are. Jesus created you. Have you stopped lately to think about what it means that you have a creator? Most of us live our lives trying to make our way as best we can through this world. Sometimes we pray and ask for the Lord to lead us, but but do you think about the fact that you have a creator? (coughs) Some of you work well with your hands. I don't. I, you know, I work well talking. Well, at least sometimes I do, and that's why I guess this is what I do. Some of you create beautiful things with your hands, and I see the pride that you take in your work, and that's not a negative pride. When you are creating something, you are the, the image of God is on full display in your life because He is a creator. And He creates through us. We are made in the image of God, so we create. So I'm sure there are times when there are flaws in your work. And, and, and sometimes those flaws add character to, to the work that you've created. But more often than not, when you mess up with something that you're doing, you just say, oh, got to start over. Jesus never does that. When he looks at you, he never says, boy, I really messed up there. I mean, you never hear Jesus say, you know, I should have put more time into those ears. Or I need to tweak that personality, but it's too late. I need to be more careful next time. Jesus created you exactly as he wanted to be. And because of that, you are free from the need to recreate yourself, to make yourself into someone you were never designed to be. That doesn't mean there's no no need to exercise or to take care of yourself or that you shouldn't change your style. But it does mean that the things about your body and your personality that will stay with you until you die, well, those things are precious to your Creator. Uh, Your value doesn't come from your perfect body or your spectacular intellect or your skills that impress other people. Your value does not come from the job that you have or that you don't have. It's not determined, your worth is not determined by who you know or who knows you. Who is pleased with you, who is upset with you, how your children turn out or how they don't turn out. None of that is what gives you value and worth. Your value comes from your Creator. And to lament your abilities or lack of abilities, your appearance or your paltry connections, is to despise your Creator. Good news. If you've been guilty of such a sinful attitude, your Creator would be thrilled to hear your confession and for the Holy Spirit to give you confidence to move forward in the security of His deep affection for you, which is attested by the truth that God delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of His beloved Son, Jesus. Here's the beautiful application of this truth, that God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, Jesus. We belong, we always will belong. Just think of the ways that people 
are seeking to belong. And when we tend to think of clubs or organizations in our day and even nations and, and, and kingdoms, if we get a choice to choose, we will. Think of how many people would love to be part of this kingdom, this country, America. And can't be. When we get a choice, though, to choose this club or that club, we do so. And before you know it, we belong. I mean, we, we become a member of this group and life is good. We belong. We contribute. We mean something. But sooner or later, you know, we start to see the flaws in the, in the organization or the club. And we think, oh, well. And so we become a little more wary of organizations. Uh, organizations even like churches. So here's what the, the difference is about the kingdom in our text. We didn't choose this kingdom. God chose us to be in his kingdom. It's not that we chose to identify with him. He chose to identify with us. And he rescued us out of the domain of darkness so that we might enjoy the blessings of his kingdom. Jesus says to me essentially, if anyone criticizes you, they criticize me. If they're nice to you, they're nice to me. You belong to me and I belong to you. It's the ultimate expression of someone having your back. Jesus has got your back. Now, it may not feel like it sometimes, but he's always looking out for you. What does that mean? Well, first it means that no longer do you need to seek to establish or maintain your own kingdom, which should be a, a relief since kingdom maintenance uh, is going to always prove to be an impossible task. Always. This kingdom of the United States of America is going to pass. It's impossible to sustain anything that is driven by man. You don't need to find your place in this world. You already belong. If you know Jesus as your Savior and you walked into church this morning saying, I, just, I, I don't know where exactly I fit. I don't know where I belong. You already belong. You belong to God's kingdom. But that knowledge is not only designed to comfort you as it most certainly will, it's designed to challenge you as well to be on mission for God. And, and to take this light of God into dark places. You belong to Jesus because someone came into the domain of darkness where you, where you lived, where you dwelled, and brought light to your soul. Of course it was God who saved you, and it was God who transferred you from darkness to the kingdom of light. But He used someone on mission, whether it was your parents, your roommate, your friend, your co-worker. Someone shared the gospel with you. Or they got you to a place where you could hear the gospel. Your mission as a Christ follower is to take the light of Jesus into a dark world. And once again, we cannot do that effectively unless the body functions as a unit. Maybe you're afraid of witnessing. Maybe you're afraid of taking the light into darkness. You're already light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Don't let that light be hidden. Don't put it somewhere that it can't be seen. All you have to do is be who Jesus designed you to be, who he created you to be, made you to be, as a member of his kingdom. Just 
shine. Allow His light to shine through you. And it's nice to know, isn't it, that we have something to live for that's bigger than ourselves. Because when I've been going through all of those things that we, we, we tend to think when we turn inward, one of the things that, we, that a lot of people do in our day is just to try to, just to enjoy life. Let life be about pleasure and about ease. But that gets old, doesn't it? God doesn't leave us in that place of just basking in His wonderful love because He designed us to, to be on mission, to function in a way that's going to call other people to Him. And that's what we get to do when we take the gospel to the world. And here's the good news that we're taking. Jesus has redeemed you and has forgiven you of your sins. God as creator and God as redeemer are the two most prominent themes in Scripture along with the glory of God. Those three themes you see over and over and over. And God as creator, God as redeemer is, is what you find repeatedly in the book of Genesis. Uh, in Genesis, we're going to constantly see man messing up this beautiful creation that God has given. And then God the Creator redeeming horrific situations and even the, just the most awful failures of men and women to accomplish His purposes and His plans in, the, in His people's lives and also in the ultimate redemption of the universe, which doesn't mean that everybody's going to always be saved. But it does mean that all will be restored to the perfect creation with which God blessed us and that those who have been redeemed will live with Jesus forever. If you belong to Jesus, you have been redeemed and your sins have been forgiven. But you keep beating yourself up over sins that you committed 5, 10, 15 years or longer ago. Or you're beating yourself up constantly about that one sin that continues to dominate you every day of your life. Even though you were sure just yesterday that that sin was done. Let me ask you, what do you think about more? Your sins or Jesus' forgiveness? I guess most of us tend to think about our sins and about how we're just unworthy and how, well, that's true. But you have forgotten the wonderful truth that you have been redeemed. You think things will never change, but I want to tell you something. Jesus is working on that sin in your life right now, right at this very moment. It'll never change. Yes, it will. Jesus is working on your sin Right now. <clears throat> if only you could control your impulses. But they're so strong and they're so unexpected and they're, they're so private so that nobody knows when I'm indulging these. But they aren't private. And if Jesus were large in your life, those urges wouldn't be so... Wouldn't be, well, wait a minute. Let me think about that. It's not that those urges would not be strong. They will be strong. We will always have strong urges to sin. But if Jesus is big enough in our lives, and that's what Genesis is doing. It's making God, Jesus, great and large in our lives. If He were large enough, the impulse to, to please and serve Him would be greater than the impulse to sin. 
So, Jesus is working on bringing himself to a larger place in your life. Where are you heading with all your struggles and failures? You're heading to the judgment of God, where you will be pronounced blameless, holy, and clean. I mean, how can that possibly be? How can it be that you, that I, am going to be declared holy and blameless? You are eligible to enter into the kingdom of God and live eternally with Jesus because you were blameless. Does that seem as farcical to you as it does to me that that that's going to happen? That God's going to say that? It's true. It's the hope of the gospel. And as you know, the gospel of Jesus is relevant to you all the days of your life. Not only at your conversion. In Genesis, we're going to discover gospel origins. And they'll come up early in Genesis because it didn't take Adam and Eve long to mess up what God had established in in his beautiful creation. Immediately after the fall, God activated a plan that had been set in motion before time ever began. The gospel begins in Genesis, but it has eternal implications. And though we will no longer need the truth of the gospel when we're with him forever in eternity, we will remember the price that was paid for us as we see his marred body juxtaposed to our perfect bodies. We'll remember the price of redemption. The gospel, as its name affirms, is good news. You're free from the condemnation of the law and living your life always seeking to measure up. Jesus has measured up for you. Next time you think, oh, oh, I should have done that. I I just really don't. Jesus, remember that. Jesus measured up. Rest in that. And as you rest in this wonderful truth that you were created in exactly the way that God designed you to be and that you have been redeemed, that you belong in His kingdom and you will always belong in His kingdom and He's got your back no matter what happens in your life. And that... He has forgiven you all your sins because of the hope of the gospel and that He's working on the sin that plagues you right now. And that one day you're going to be ushered right into the presence of God as holy because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for you. In all of that, remember what a privilege it is to be light in the world. Because God, in essence, is saying, when you go into a dark place, carrying the gospel, let there be light. Remember what a privilege it is that He's given us a task, and He's fitted us, and He's made us worthy. He's made us capable of sharing this good news and being light in a dark world. Let's pray. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of of the cross. May the Lord continue to build that knowledge in us throughout the week, and may we find ways to share it with others. God bless.